0: This is Rod Underwood, and you are now listening to Northern California's number one soccer-specific podcast.
1: What's going on, Sacramento soccer fans? And welcome to the number one soccer-specific podcast in Northern California, the Sacktown FC Podcast, powered by Reboot and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. Check them out at roughneckscarves.com and raise your game today. My name is John and as usual I'm joined by my co-host Luis. Luis how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good Um, you know
2: thankfully I'm in a place with a good working AC because it's an oven out there like you just you do not (laughs) want to be out there at least around here in Modesto so thankful that my AC is working. Yeah, we hit a hundred.
1: We hit hundred five today here in uh, in Roseville. So who knows what's going to no happen? No way, really. Mm. Yeah, we, it was hot today. <laughs> I, I jumped in the pool, <laughs> and the pool felt like bathwater. And I'll take that. <laughs> but still,
0: wow, man, we're we're like seventy, and it's like, oh, okay, it's summertime. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, you're still wearing long sleeves. Ah, uh, yeah, I love. Uh, I'm always cold. Sacramento was the perfect place for me. That heat was beautiful.
2: So uh, today we are joined by the former assistant head coach and academy director for the Republic and former head coach of Montego Bay United in Jamaica and is now actually working as a consultant for many top level clubs. Joining us via the Mikuni Dreamline, please welcome Rob Underwood to the podcast. Rod, how are things going for you in this you know, interesting time that we're currently in?
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, It's interesting. But I mean, for me, it's been uh, just an interesting time, obviously, with, uh, you know, for me, I have two, have twins that are eight that are home doing school and a boy that's 13 doing home and my wife's working from home. So we're all at home every day. But for me, for all the, you know, the travel I've done and all the different places I've been without them, this time for me being home has actually been good. It's probably the, it's the longest time we've spent together in our whole lives, I think. So but you know, it's just a sad state, really, with uh, just the just the COVID and you know the difficulties that people are having. And you know, I just hope that it turns it turns quickly so that we can you know get back to some kind of normal life here.
1: Definitely feel that uh, as you know, being home, my wife's home, we got three kids too. It's like you can't find a, you can't find a place to go rest. I mean, everything's done, <laughs> everybody's around, so you got to make the most of this time and, and make it the best you can um our first question for you tonight um is how did you fall in love with the game of soccer well it's a very unique situation because
0: we were living in atlanta i grew up in atlanta so we we're living in atlanta georgia uh if you've ever been to atlanta we're living near the airport so uh, my neighbor his dad was an american football coach and uh, at that time he said hey you want to play on my son's team i'm gonna be the coach i said sure but at that time Growing up you had to wear certain weigh a certain amount. So I would I didn't weigh enough. <laughs> so um, the next day or the next few days I walked into school, there's a big sign up at the school play soccer. Never heard of the game, never seen a soccer ball in my life. And I joined the team and uh, there was nobody to coach because nobody knew anything about the game. This is like nineteen probably seventy, I don't know, maybe like seventy. 274 something like that so a long time ago so my mom volunteers to be the coach and a friend and uh pretty much when i started playing i haven't stopped since i've been involved in the game player coach since that time and it just continues to go and continues to grow and really enjoy it
2: so rod um before coaching you know we know you had a 13 year career as a player um can you tell us uh what was your time as a player like and where would you say you had the most memorable experience as a player?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I grew up playing and, you know, played in college and uh, kind of different phases, right? For me, college is a college at that time. College is a big thing. And it was really important for me. I mean, I was the first, uh, first player, first person from my family to go to college, you know, uh, my immediate family to go to college and uh, I went to Furman university and, uh, was the first black player to play at, at Furman University and uh, that was an unbelievable experience and it really opened my eyes to a lot a different way of life right a different way of saying things in different people that I never experienced before uh, and after college you know I was thinking I'm just going to get a job because you know the NASL had folded not too long before that only thing was going on was indoor and uh, you know the MSL, the MISL was kind of on the downswing in this other league. A, AISA, I think it was called, was on the upswing. So Atlanta started a team. I trained with them for a while. And then uh, the USL, which is, we know of today, which was called the USISL, um, came about and a coach that I think he, I can't remember what college, but anyway, he is, his name is Dave Carr. And he says, hey, Rod, we're starting a professional team at Albuquerque, New Mexico, right? Albuquerque, New Mexico. He says, we want you to come. So I go out. I've never been to Albuquerque. I go out and um, and and I signed with them, first pro contract. And I played in Albuquerque and then I played, you know, played a little bit in Atlanta, played in, in New Orleans. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, probably the most memorable was playing-wise, I want to say, in probably 1992, I think it was. Um, I think it was 92, somewhere in that range. We made it to the, I want to say the, Quarterfinals, semifinals of state of, uh, of the Open Cup, so that was a real big deal. And I think I can't remember who we lost out to. It might have been Colorado. I think it was the Colorado Foxes or something like that. Uh, but that was a that was a good experience um, there. And uh, you know, I, I had a, for me as a player, I had a fairly successful career. You know, as a player, uh, won a lot in college. You know, won a lot of games at the at the professional. Level. We never really won it. I don't think we never won a championship as a player professional level but um I just enjoyed playing I mean and I probably would have continued right when I was you know getting into coaching at the pro level and kind of finishing my career MLS was starting to ramp up and uh kind of had a choice to continue coaching or give a shot in MLS and I was already pretty much ingrained by that time my MLS came around I was probably on my A license or had my A license so you know it's like well I think I can get a shot coaching and you know, so I just continued on in the coaching realm, and every once in a while, when my I was coaching a team, and then we were short players, or you know, got a bunch of injuries, I'd sign myself. I only played in a few games over the course of that time, but um, it was a fun time. It was a real fun time.
1: So after playing, as you said, you jumped into coaching. Uh, we talked a little bit about about it. You would you would do summer or fall uh, coaching for the YMCA. Um, and it seemed like it was a perfect fit where you had the opportunity to work in some great clubs as well. What club do you feel was your best moment uh, in coaching and where do you feel like you could have done more? Because I noticed um, in your past you had Cleveland and you did—you were really successful at Cleveland and it ended up folding. So that was kind of where I was going with this question.
0: Well, the probably the most successful was uh, when I coached the New Mexico Chili's. One of them. That was one. It was two teams in Albuquerque. First in the Mexican, you know how it goes with the lower level soccer. One year there's a new ownership, new 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 ownership, same city, different name. So, in 1995 or 96, we played. We, did, we had a fantastic season. Uh, give you some idea of what it was like, right? Um, we played a team from San Antonio in the playoffs, which San Antonio has a team now. We played the El Paso Patriots. We beat both those teams to get to what they call the sizzling six or sizzling eight or something like that. Uh, And the teams that we played against, we played against, I want to say it was a San Jose, it was a San Jose team uh, that had, they were loaded, they were loaded with players. And then we played a Long Island team. And I think uh, Tony Miola was on that team and maybe even Tab Ramos, Chris Armis, maybe was on that team. Chris Armis, I think might've been on the team. So, and we got hammered. I mean, we got hammered. We did, we, we lost, we, We lost, we didn't make it to the next round of that group. But for us as an Albuquerque team, right, to make it to the sizzling six or eight, whatever it was called. Uh, And then uh, a great year was 97 when when the Albuquerque get, we won the the USL championship, which was called the D3 Pro League or something like that. We won that in in 97. We were loaded with players, though. I mean, to be fair, I mean, we had uh, goalkeepers, Jason Batty. He played for the New Zealand national team. Uh, and he was went on to coach at San Jose as a goalkeeper coach for San Jose. Fellow by the name of Tommy Clark had played professionally already. He was a Dartmouth player. Uh, we had a uh, Guillermo was from. Uh, he started with us and we had to let him go, but he had played in at Boca Juniors with uh, Maradona, and, and it was just a real, real good team. And we won that. Uh, we beat the Charlotte Eagles, who still has a Charlotte team, the Independents, in the league. So, you know, when I t- people talk about you know these different cities and so forth. Um, you find out that uh, a lot of the cities are the same. You know, a lot of cities are the same. Just had some lapses in teams, and probably where I could have done more is probably Cleveland. Cleveland was was a fun time. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, but I think the thing was we. I mean, we had we had no budget. I mean, at that time, the Carolina they might have been called the Railhawks or something like that, and then Montreal they were on million dollar budgets, right? And we were on two fifty. So. Um, you know, and we had, we had a lot of players that wanted the chance, right? We had players that were on per game, right? If you play, you get paid. And then, you, you know, we had other guys that were making decent money, but nowhere near what the other teams were paying. And, and I still felt like with that group, we could have done a lot more because they were just coming off of a championship in the USL that won the championship the year before. But when they went, when we when they stepped up to, I think it was called the USL one, I think it was, or something like that. It was a the highest level of time in the, in the uh, USL. Most of the top players went on with Martin Rennie, who coaches at Indy now, right? Uh, Martin was the coach prior to me and he took a bunch of those players. Good on Mark. Martin's a great guy. We, I really enjoy talking to Martin, but yeah, I mean, we lost a lot of players and, uh, but it was a great experience because we had a different view, right? Our view was it was owned by a missions organization that really used soccer to impact culture and change lives around the world. So, you know we we do mission trips like much if you look at uh the Charlotte Eagles um you know we were much like what the Charlotte Eagles were at the time right so much like that but it was a fantastic experience for me one of my best
1: so for the people who who don't know Sacramento soccer um it was actually the Albuquerque Geckos who were who moved from Sacramento and eventually um as Rod had mentioned, became champions. So had they stayed in Sacramento, there might have been a championship here. So you're <laughs> welcome, Albuquerque. <laughs> uh,
2: but it's good because Sacramento Republic got the honor too. So yeah, it was yeah. all good. Um, so Rod, um, as a coach, uh, what would you consider to be the four moments of the game?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the 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 four moments of the game for me is, I mean, for me, to put it into context, it's like, for me, it's a situation where I like to be proactive. I like to have the ball. I like to, when we don't have it, try to get it back as quick as possible, much like the modern game, right? But basically, you look at when you have the ball, when you don't have the ball, when you're trying to get it back. Those are, those are the moments that you're looking for, you know, when you have it, when you don't have it, when you're trying to get it back, right? And so if you look at those, those moments of the game... Those are the things that you really focus on, right? You really focus on those. And so, if we talk about when you have it, for me, it's everyone's got to want the ball. Everyone's got to, everyone's got to be technically sound. Have to have intelligent players. Want to move. Want to play. Want to interchange positions. When you don't have it, you want to be. You're so upset that you don't have it. You fight like dogs to get it back. All right. And then that transition moment in the modern game today, right? The modern game today is there's so many transition moments in the game, and I feel that even though you might have the ball, but the transition moments really a lot of time dictate the outcome.
1: Definitely. It sounds like you need a lot of Edgar Davids on your team to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You need players, yeah. But, you know,
0: it's a player's game. I mean, players are – if players aren't making plays, no matter what the coach says,
1: no matter what the coach knows, if the players aren't making plays, you're not going to be successful. Yeah. So you, you had time in Montego Bay with uh, United – what was it like to coach and be a part of that uh, CONCACAF Champions League yeah. qualification? What, what was that like?
0: You know, I really enjoyed it. I really, in terms of the club, right, in terms of Montego Bay, that was, that was fun because obviously being in the Caribbean, uh, you know, we had a lot of, uh, we had a fair number of national team players that played for the Jamaican national team. A few of those guys that played after they played for, against the U.S. in the Gold Cup, uh, a few years ago. So we had to, we had some players. But, you know, the qualification, we got a chance to host in Montego Bay. So that was a big deal, right? So I think we had teams from the Dominican Republic come in. We had uh, – I can't remember all the teams uh, that came in. I remember the Dominican Republic team because they were, they were very good. Uh, and I can't remember the other teams that we had come in. We had three teams come in. But that experience, right, the the way the city got behind it, the way the media was behind it, you know, it's just – a Coaching outside the country is just a different way of life. I mean, in the sense of, you know, there was one time my wife and my kids were walking through the store and I think we just come off a loss and the fans want to come and have a chat with you right there. Why, you know, why you are uh, why the team's not doing what they think the team should be doing. But, uh, the, the, you know, the, the championship, quali- champion, championship qualifiers for me was, was outstanding. I mean, great pressure, great expectation. Uh, and the crazy thing was is, I had literally got to the country three days before it started. So I had like three training sessions with the group before it started. Uh, Because prior to me, you probably know the name, Tim Hankinson was there prior to me. Uh, So uh, that's how I kind of made it to to Montego Bay because he reached out and said, hey, I'm leaving, told the owner about you, and um, that kind of turned into the opportunity to get down there. But great experience. I mean, great experience, great experience being in Montego Bay. Uh, Crazy crazy football country, uh, and and sometimes literally crazy football country uh, in some of the places that, you know, in in some parts, of especially in Kingston, it could be pretty pretty difficult, but uh, it was good.
2: So let's talk some uh, Sacramento Republic now. Uh, You know, we know you came to Sacramento from Portland. Portland has, you know, an amazing team too. Um, We won a championship the first season. You know, you were there. Uh, with uh, Preki, would you say that the season after there was a championship hangover or w- what would
0: you say happened there the season after we won well I, I think it was it was a lot of things right I mean we have to look at 14 first right and 14 new team I never forget right we were Precky uh, Preki came up We were we were working on the agreement between Portland and and, and uh, Sacramento and the partnership. Ricky came up, we spoke, we talked, and you can see that the guy was passionate. You can see that the guy, and that was the first time I had, had ever met Ricky uh, was in those meetings. And uh, we talked and, you know, we started from nothing. You think a guy like Emma Clementa, right, who had bounced around and he had been, he had been to four or five different tryouts and he hadn't picked up anything. And, you know, he, he came on and had a great year. and uh, you can go down the, you know, Max Alvarez, who was, you know, has really done not much since then, right. Since 14, 15 season, uh, Tavo, you know, we just had a, we had a group of guys there that were trying to prove themselves and a, and a, and a coaching staff, right. You know, Preki was super successful. I've been in Portland for a lot of years as an assistant, you know, and, uh, then as well as in the academy and the, and the youth development with them too, uh, You know, Chris Malinab, super guy, was, you know, bounced around and, you know, Tony Sutton, who was a player there. And uh, so it was to win that in the first year was just a very unique, it was a unique, unique group. Uh, And things went our way. And, you know, Rodrigo Lopez Roro was obviously fantastic, right? He started slow, but he was fantastic most of the year. And, you know, Justin Braun was unbelievable. I mean, sometimes people look at Justin and say, this guy can't play, but, the thing is as a coach, you see the work that he does that nobody else even picks up on. That he creates a space for Rory, creates a space for Tommy, or even Gilberto. I mean, Gilberto was was fantastic with the ball. He didn't like to defend, but when he had the ball, he was he was very good. He was he was exceptional. Um, and then in you know in 15, I w- in 15 I was the academy director. And, you know, from I wouldn't say it was a hangover, but you have to understand, you know, Preki left part Way through right, and you know Preki was a fantastic coach, and then you know uh, Buckle took over after Preki left, and you know that change. I mean, I always say this right: to win a championship is very difficult the first year. To win it the second year, to win it the second year, win it the second year, but then have change, have a coaching change, you're making it pretty pretty difficult to try to win. So I wouldn't necessarily call it a hangover. As much as I would say, it was just, you know, if you look at percentages, the percentages were in your, you know, more in your favor when everything was intact. But then we started making all the changes, and you know, the new coach wants to put his staple on things, and that then that that becomes tough.
1: Essentially, it kind of derails a team, right? You're you're, if you're having to change, especially in July. I think it was mid July when they made the yeah. when they made the switch. Yeah. So you're, you're running out of time to implement things and you need a lot of time to make sure things go right once the season starts. So I would imagine that the hangover, yeah, you know, you've played a lot of games the year before legs are heavy, but also that transition from Precky to to Paul is as easy as it might seem like a, as for a supporter or or a member of the, of the, of the, um, crowd coach crew, right? You have to realize that there's there's definitely a big change that's going on players personalities are going to differ coaches are going to be different towards players and it takes away from their camaraderie a, a, in some form yeah i mean because i mean you guys saw Pricky. You, you know what he's like i mean he's intense he
0: is for me look i i've i've worked with coaches more of the war i even worked with a coach that was you know was was a goalkeeper coach when brazil won the world cup and I'm telling you now, Precky's at that kind of level. So when you change, when you change a coach of that magnitude, it's really difficult to follow that. Um, and he was and so and then just the way he was so straightforward, there were no games with Precky. You knew where you stood, you like it or not, you, you knew where you stood. And that was a big bonus for us.
2: So uh, this is a question that, you know, we, we like to ask anybody who was at one part, you know, part of the Republic and maybe is no longer in Sacramento. But what do you miss the most about Sacramento?
0: Well, for me, I mean, you know, when really, I mean, if I take a couple of steps back, I I went to Gavin Wilkinson, the general manager of Portland. You know, he and I had a good relationship and uh, our families were friends and still are friends. and. Uh, it was a situation where um, I wanted to go to Sacramento to get, you know, because that when I was in Portland at that time, I was no longer with the with the first team. Caleb Porter was there, and he had his staff, which was all fine, right? Um, and when I went to Sacramento, I went to Sacramento to, to 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 do first team football every day. That was why I went to Sacramento, right? I wanted to, I wanted to be back at the first team level, doing first team football every day. Um, making sure that I was working with professional players and getting professional players better. That was my goal to be there. Uh, and then through all that, obviously, Precky and I, even to this day, you know I consider Precky one of my closest friends. You know, He's up here in Seattle. I see him and uh, we see each other. And uh, So I learned a lot from him. But the catch is Sacramento was, like for me, one of the best places I've ever been. I've been all over the world. but. Sacramento, you know, Portland was a fantastic place. I loved my time in Portland. I uh, love the city. So I lifelong friends there. Uh, my kids, some of my kids were born there. So, um, but Sacramento for me would have been home if things would have continued on the path that it was from, from 14. You know, because my wife and I, you know, because the first year my wife stayed in Portland just to, you know, how lower level football is. You don't know if it's going to make it or not. So she stayed in the second year. They came and it would say, hey, we want to want to make this our home. We want to live here, house, school, the whole nine yards. That's going to be our place. So, if you ask me one thing about Sacramento, I don't have one thing. I mean, love the food, love the people, love the heat. Uh, just a, just a beautiful place.
2: What was your favorite uh, food spot?
0: Oh man, let's see. Uh, we liked everything. I mean, my my wife's like a fantastic cook and. I mean, we, we watch cooking shows and just like to try new, I mean, Makuni's obviously got to say for the sponsor, right. Makuni's was, I mean, probably the best sushi we've ever had. Right. And, um, and, uh, you know, one of me and my wife, like, the uh, I think it was called a, uh, dessert diner down, down in that area. We always have the best desserts and, uh, yeah, we, we just, we just love the food scene and, And you could get so many different kinds of food. You know, that was really, really awesome.
1: So knowing now what we know with how important the academy is going to be to Sacramento going forward in the MLS, what was it like to know uh, that you played an important role in the making of this academy and seeing that it's potential and what it's going to mean to Sacramento once it goes to MLS?
0: Well, for me, me, I'm, I'm very unique as a coach, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way whatsoever. I've had the chance to, to work the gamut in, in soccer right from leading a team, first team, assisting on the first team level, uh, being an academy coach. Um, and for me I believe that an academy and development of players is the lifeblood of, of a club if you don't have big dollars to buy what you want to, to buy I mean to buy the players, To almost in some senses, you can buy the right players that, that buy into everything because you've scouted and know you can afford that player and they buy into what the the way is the way the team will be. Uh, But for me, the Academy, the youth players are the lifeblood because uh, number one, if you look at it from take away the football, right. But then you took a bit, the community, they come from the community. They're involved. The family or the family becomes fans if they're not fans because their kids are involved. The school that the kid goes to becomes a fan because the kids are involved. It's just a perpetual situation that grows your fan base, right? And that's obviously super important to grow your fan base. But also what it does is when you have the community coursing through the veins of a youth player that they're playing for their community, they're playing for their family, they're playing for their friends, they're playing for because it is sacrament of their hometown, the place where they grew and the club that gave them a chance, you create a chance to have something really very special over the long term and you can have generational impact. And that's really important at the youth level, right? You can have a player come out once every two or three years and then maybe another every four or five years. But the reality is you want generational impact of your youth. You have generational impact of the youth on the club, you have it on the community. Uh, then you what you what you have is you have players from the outside, big players from the outside see what this is what is building and they want to become part of it and so it's just for me the academy is a lifeblood of any professional club
2: yeah I think it definitely serves you know as inspiration to to others in the area you know like I could think of like Cameron Nawasa and you know how inspirational he must be to you know all the academy players and even you know other soccer players in the area and you know knowing that you can make it there you can even be historic too. like uh iwasa is with us with you know being the top goal scorer so yeah it's definitely really amazing you know when you get a player from around the area that's that's there with the team so
0: yeah it's 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 a big deal it's a real big deal
2: so it's time for our favorite segment of our show rapid fire time So, Rod, let me explain to you how our uh, rapid-fire works. Uh, We'll be asking you 10 questions. You can only skip two, and you won't know what the next question will be until we actually ask the question. So, uh, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, cool. So, rapid-fire. Today's rapid-fire is brought to you by New Glory Beer. Check them out online at newglorybeer.com today or visit their locations in Sacramento or Granite Bay today for some great beer and awesome dishes. So let's get started with this first question. What would you say is your most embarrassing soccer moment?
0: (laughs) Embarrassing soccer moment. Probably the most embarrassing soccer moment was one of my... Actually, this is a very embarrassing. Our first year uh, with... uh, Coaching the Albuquerque ge- Geckos in '97, first game of the season, uh, we're down in Arizona, in Phoenix or Tucson, one or two. And I think Greg Vanny might have been on the team. Uh, and we're probably 15 minutes into the game, and our Scottish guy and our Argentinian guy have words. Next thing you know, the Argentinian guy punches. Our Scottish guy knocked him out cold, and both of the guys get red cards. This, this is like 15 minutes in the first game of the season in 97. It's just really crazy.
1: There has to be a YouTube video <laughs> for that, and I'm going to have to go back and look this up. <laughs> so you've coached and you've played. You've probably coached against some of the people that you've, you know, you've probably been on the opposing benches against people that you used to play with. Who's the one coach you'll never send a Christmas card to?
0: Whew. That's a tough one because for me, I I don't get involved with the coaches, right? I don't I don't really pay attention to the coaches. I really don't, you know. In the heat of the moment, I'll be like, that guy's just a joker, right? Or you know, I don't, you know, you know, something like that. But for me, it's it's never about the coach for me. So I could, I would have to think long and hard about that. Um, it you know probably wouldn't be at the professional level. There was one time. I was coaching a youth game in Atlanta, and the coach was just unbelievable. And these guys couldn't have been more than 13 or 14, so young kids, right? And every time our best player would get the ball, I'd say, fouling, fouling, fouling. So one time they just laid the guy out. And next thing you know, I'm nose-to-nose with the coach, and I'm just shouting at him and shouting at him. And I called the referee and said, referee, what are you going to do about it? And it's like, that guy, man, I would th- I don't even know the guy's name, but for me that's like – that guy was just terrible but I was we were, we were standing nose to nose and afterwards I was embarrassed because it's, it's a u14 game right so
2: the next question here um, name one player who you would think had all the tools to be great but never wanted to put in the work
0: Man, that's a lot of those uh, I would say if I go back to uh, my Cleveland days. Uh, there was a player uh, that, and I, I would hate to say his name. That's the only thing I wouldn't want to say his name because he's. I like mentor him now, right? I'm like he's a coach now and I mentor him. Um, but is uh, you know he was a guy that was he was probably six foot five, center back, left footed. Uh, wasn't super fast, but technically right was a midfielder. Right, tough defender. But every day, right? Every single day. Actually I, I got a guy for you in Montego Bay, guy by the name of Woozy. Very technically, he was in and out of the national team because he was good, right? But you know, it's it's five minutes of training, he's nowhere to be seen, right? Five minutes after training, here comes Strolling and I'm like, Oh man, and, but you know, and so you find him, you suspend him, whatever, then you put him in the game and he scores two or three goals and then same thing the next week in between games, late, whatever, and finally you don't play them. the team doesn't do well. Then you play and the team does well. It's just like so
1: frustrating, so, so frustrating. So That's a lot of kids I used to coach. Uh, just <laughs> frustrated. Yeah. Uh, what club do you find yourself supporting outside of the U.S.? I mean, there's, for me, any club that
0: plays but we want to call, to use a term everybody by the sense, total, total football where everybody's involved in. You know, my two clubs I support the most are Barcelona and Arsenal. Those are the two clubs that I support the most. Arsenal's—I hate to say it—but I still support Arsenal after all these years. But Arsenal and Barcelona are the other two teams. But really, I just like good football. I just like good football. Good, um, good opportunity to just watch good—you know—watch good soccer.
2: What player did you mold your game after?
0: There was a guy by the name of. Um, Brian Kitt. Brian Kitt was an English player. He came over to the U.S. and he played uh, for the Atlanta Chiefs. And he was just a guy that I mean, he was. I played I played as a as a nine as a striker, and the guy could score goals like unbelievable. He was just fantastic with goals and always in the box. And you know, as I came through my came through, people would always say, "Hey, it doesn't matter what Rod's done all day, but you got to finish the game off with him or not. He's going to score a
1: goal." You know, so I try to
0: model of that, and that's where Brian Kidd was. He would always pop up and score goals left and right.
1: What coach has had the biggest impact on your style?
0: Probably uh, this guy by the name of Roy Reese. Roy was a Welsh guy. Uh, He had coached U-17 national teams. Uh, uh, Roy since passed away, but I learned so much about him. He started recruiting me when I was about 14 years old, 15 years old. Uh, to go to college at Furman. And he started, he recruited me and uh, just learned so much about him, about the game and how to be a player, right? How to just work and show up every day, have fun, make work fun, you know, and and then just to always uh, try to be uh, just special every day. And that's really what he instilled in me.
2: All right. So, so we got to go back to, to food here because we, we just like to talk about food a lot. Um Would you pick sushi or
1: pizza? Sushi. Who would you kiss the crest of, Reno or Portmore? Uh, Reno over Portmore any day. (laughs) Uh, What would you
2: say is the hardest part about transitioning from playing to coaching?
1: Not playing. And what four players from any time in the history of the game would you build your team around? Messi.
0: Um I would say Buffon, Pricky and uh Maldini.
1: Okay. All right, little defense and and yeah. attacking midfielder, all right? And somebody who could who could play midfield and is a magician of sorts, right? Yeah. So a new a new style question. Um it's a reboot question of sorts. Um, we all have a moment in life that we've had to start over, correct ourselves, like a golf mulligan. Can you share the moment you had to have a reboot, whether it be in life, sporting, or even academic? <laughs> There's a lot of those, man, at my age. <laughs>
0: so, um, I would say if I if I give if I can give a couple different ones, I would say academically like when I went off to college right uh I have dyslexia so it's hard you know it can be difficult learning stuff uh, and when I went to college right through high school I was able to finagle on my way through and get through and and then when I got to college man it was just oof I, I thought I was in over my head right and I had really actually put the work in and study and to graduate and 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 I did but it was it was never easy um and I would say soccer wise um it was uh i would say kind of a reboot uh i had been living and coaching and Al- out in albuquerque and uh i went to atlanta to one of my friends started a club in atlanta and so i i went back to atlanta uh, after uh, me and my first wife separated and it was like uh, i just wanted to start over right and and that really sort of propelled what my modern soccer is today because from there I went to Portland uh, because my whole focus was going there to restart uh, restart, and then to uh, re- really relaunch my career, relaunch uh, my life. And in that time, in that five, I was there about five years, four or five years, I met my, my wife now who was like, I wish I had met her. When I was about twenty years old, uh, but uh, that's really propelled. And from there, I went to Portland. From Portland, I went to Sacramento. From Sacramento, I went to Montego Bay, and we're talking now. So that was a big. Those
1: are those are two two important milestones in my life. Awesome. I appreciate you taking the time to share that. That's uh, it's important, right? To to hear people's stories about how we. I mean, we all face trials and tribulations, and have to find a a way to, to reboot ourselves. So we appreciate you uh you sharing that reboot story. You're welcome.
2: All right, so it's time for our last call. So Rod, what would you say
0: community means to you? Community is everything because my personal mission statement is to impact culture and change lives. So I mean I've been in the game a long time. Uh and the whole thing is can, how do i use the game of soccer how do I use a game of football to impact culture and change lives so community is everything for me it's, it's it's vital it's you know when i coach right when i coach at any level how can i instill in the players that just don't be in the be, in the community that would be a fabric to be a member of society and change the people that help the people that need help and Live live at a level of high moral standard with integrity on a daily basis. And and I think if we can model those things in society, we'll be a better place. You know, we won't see the crazy things that we see going on in our world today. Right. Uh, So it's for me is how do I use the game to impact culture and change lives? Number one priority. Do I want to win like every coach? Do I want to coach the best players? Do I want to coach at the highest level? No question. None of that supersedes impacting culture and changing
1: lives through the game of soccer. How can people get a hold of you if they need help with a club or anything else at this time?
0: I Man, I'm on Twitter at Cut Inside. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I have my website rodunderwood.com. Instagram—I don't even know what that Instagram handle is, but it's there. Um, yeah, so on Facebook, I'm on Facebook Rod Underwood. So yeah, just reach out any of those places, and I'm there. You know. I'm, I'm always there on those places. And, you know, cut inside, it's like that's my, that's even my email address, cut inside at hotmail.com. Cut inside, you know, just like on the field, you know, you're driving down the line, cut inside, shoot, score, you know, so that's, I've had that forever, so.
1: I would have to say that must have been your MO, right? Where you would have the ball yes. wide, cut inside on the left or the right foot and curl yeah. in? Yeah. Uh, all right, nice. Well, Rod, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join us this evening. We really appreciate you uh, you doing so. And we hope that once soccer comes back into full full swing, we can, we can sit down and, and possibly do this again, but maybe even live next time. Cool, man. Excellent. I'd love to do it.
2: Today's guest was brought to you by the Mikuni Dreamline. All Mikuni restaurants are now open, but if you can't get there, it's still easy to get your favorite dishes using the Mikuni app. Please make sure to pre-order. And when you arrive, they will deliver your meal straight to your car. Visit them today at MekuniSushi.com or download their app available in the App Store or Google Play.
1: Don't forget, you can find us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook. We have a group for Sacramento soccer fans. And we also have our own page for the Sactown FC podcast. You can find us there. Uh, you'll get up-to-date information regarding what we've got going on and who's coming on, perhaps. Lots going on. Check us out at uh, Sacktown FC Podcast on Facebook pages and Sacramento Soccer Fans, the Facebook group. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Sactown FC. We're also now part whoa, of Whoa,
2: whoa, the- whoa, 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 John. Whoa. You cannot forget about our amazing partners, California Storm. You can check them out over at calstormsoccer.com. You can also find them on social media: Facebook, they can be found under California Storm; Instagram and Twitter, they can both be found on as @calstormsoccer. Please check them out. They'll be letting you guys know when their season will be coming back, and when it does come back, please go out there and support them.
1: You can now continue with the. Uh, gaming news john now on the gaming front we're also on twitch you can find us at Sacktown fc on twitch on xbox you can find luis playing fortnite or fifa 20 he can be found at Sacktown fc uh, as the gamer tag and you can find me on playstation at sactown underscore fc for all of your playstation whoopings
2: yeah so please uh We'll take a challenge at any time. Uh, my recent challenger was Mr. Forza Power. And after two rounds, he actually just told us that he actually doesn't want to play against me anymore because I, he couldn't beat me. So, yeah. So, please, you know, I'm up to the challenge. I'm not saying I'm like a big professional at it. But, hey, let's, let's have a game and see, see how things go. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, this podcast is powered by Reboot. Reboot is a nonprofit organization whose sole purpose is to help more kids play soccer while creating opportunities to practice generosity, empathy, and leadership. Check them out today at reboot.soccer, where you can find out more ways to be a part of
1: the program and help Reboot your community today. That's all we have for today's episode. A special thanks to Rod Underwood for taking the time to join us, and a special thanks to you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and give us some positive comments. Check us out online at sactownfc.com and until next time cheers everybody
2: thank you for listening everyone and have a great day